There's a great quote that says, we don't see things as they are, we see things as we are. And that is so key in like starting it. So part of the work that we have to do, and more than anything, getting proximate for our leaders, we're also practicing, how do we get proximate to ourselves? Welcome to Let's Get Proximate, the podcast that explores the stories, experiences, and challenges of others so we can learn to innovate, create, and collaborate with lived experiences different from our own. Join host Alex Allen and Callie McKee as they explore the power and proximity, leveraging the value of meaningful interactions and insights to disrupt false narratives and foster understanding that leads to real and lasting transformation. Let's dive into the latest episode and learn more about creating an inclusive future for all. This episode is brought to you by Cisco, an industry leader in technology innovations and solutions. With networking, security, collaboration, cloud management, and more, Cisco helps to securely connect industries and communities, creating the bridge to possible. Find out more at www.cisco.com. Welcome, y'all. I'm so excited to be here with Callie McKee for our first episode of the Let's Get Proximate podcast. I'm Alex Allen. I'm your senior director for our DEI go to market strategy here at Cisco. And I'm joined here with my co host, Callie McKee. Hey, y'all. Callie McKee. I've worked with Alex, and y'all know me from the Proximity Initiative. I help lead up leader and team enablement, which means I geek out on inclusive behaviors and creating great cultures at Cisco. Let's get proximate, Alex. Get proximate, y'all. Big ups and thank you to the team for connecting this opportunity to us, our colleagues from our customer and partner experience engineering team. Thank you so much for giving us this opportunity. I'd love this to start with a little bit of a description of who I am. Again, I am Alex Allen. I use he, him pronouns. I'm a African-American. I am a brown-skinned person. I have glasses. I have short hair, also wearing a orange-complected sweater today. And I'm so excited to be here with you all related to the podcast that we're going to have today. Callie, if you don't mind. I love this, Alex. So we're doing audio descriptions, y'all, because we're designing from the margins like we always do, right? And we know that audio description helps our folks that are listening, also helps our folks that might be watching the podcast, and helps our folks with who might have visual disabilities be able to really connect. So Callie McKee, I use she, her pronouns. I'm a middle-aged white woman with long brown curly hair with some gray streaky streaks throughout. I'm wearing glasses and I'm wearing a black blazer and a Princess Leia t-shirt for y'all today. Awesome. I love that, Callie. And thank you. Designing from the margins is what we do, y'all. It is what we do. And so this podcast, y'all, let's talk about it real quick. We're going to deep dive into getting proximate. We're going to show you about how we approach conversations across difference. And in this podcast, we're going to have a series of just about 10 episodes. And we're going to meet a ton of great people learn about their lived experiences, and that's the essence of our podcast series that we have here. So just to give you a real quick brief you know, history and also the current state, in 2019, September, Chuck Robbins at Cisco Impact in his keynote speech mentioned to the audience, if you get close to a problem, you'll be compelled to try and solve it. Brian Stevenson and Chuck had a courageous conversation in September of 2019. And Brian mentioned in this conversation, if you get close to the marginalized communities, 
if you get close to who's excluded, new insights would emerge, new understandings would emerge that you cannot attain from afar. Tell everybody who Brian Stevenson is, though. We're talking about Brian Stevenson, and you got to know Brian Stevenson. So get proximate to Brian Stevenson if you don't know him. Tell everybody who he is, Alex. No problem. Thank you, Callie, and thank you for that. He is the executive director of the Equal Justice Initiative. He's a lawyer. He supports people that are on death row, and he's been doing this social justice work for the last 35, 40 years. What's interesting about Brian, him and I grew up in the same hometown in Wilmington, Delaware. And so we've had a couple of chances to meet him over the last couple of years. And so it's been exciting. And Alex, he's got a great book out called Just Mercy, which has been turned into a movie. And so the other way I'm hoping that you and Brian can also share something is that Michael B. Jordan could also play you in a movie of your life one day. I'm hoping we get there. I'm hoping we get there. Well, that would be flattering to me, Callie. That would be flattering to me. Let's do it. All right. So Brian and Chuck are friends. Brian came to talk in 2019, and he brought up proximity again. And you were there, Alex. What did he talk about? He was talking about, and they were having a conversation around mass incarceration and racial injustice in the United States. And I would tell you that I've, Callie, I've worked for a number of Fortune 500 companies. And that was the first time in my life, in my career, that we were having a conversation in the corporate environment around these critical topics. So I was blown away. Both of my parents went to a historically black college, Florida A&M University. And that night after we, I I listened to that Craig's conversation, we called and we talked about the last 35 years in which they had endured and what they had done to really raise a young family. And so that aside, a few weeks later, I was providing a diversity inclusion update to Maria Martinez and her senior staff going through the data talking about our underrepresented groups and our information around that. And one of the leaders at the end of the session basically said, hey, what inclusion action can I take? What can I do tomorrow? And it was a few weeks after the session. So I said, look, you got to get proximate. You got to understand the voices and the lived experience of people who are different than you. And you got to take those lived experiences. You need to take action and drive that within your organization. So that was what compelled us to create the proximity initiative. Interestingly, Callie, in that meeting, other leaders told stories around how they had been proximate and how they had these deep learnings. And so we looked around the table and we said, hey, we should have this as an initiative around our senior leader development and also to drive employee engagement. I love that, Alex, because what you're talking about here is stuff that people are doing, right? And so we talk about this notion of getting proximate is that leaders, us as individual contributors, as leaders at any level, As people, we're getting proximate every day. The proximity initiative is giving us an intentional way to do something we know is good, right? We know we feel more connected when we learn about different people. We know that we are able to lead differently and lead more inclusively when we understand the challenges of different people. So I love that like leaders were like, oh yeah, you know, Alex, this is something I'm doing and we're going to give you a way to be intentional because we'll talk about this later, but we forget when things get busy when things get stressful, we forget to be intentional about that proximity. So I love it as everyday inclusive behaviors too. You know, it's just one thing that you can do from wherever you're at to get close to the issues that are facing your employees. 100%. And these proximity meetings, y'all, are one-on-one conversations with people from our inclusive communities and really for the leader and the person from the inclusive community to share their lived experience. We've been doing this about four years. We've had over 1,700 meetings, and we have all the functional groups across Cisco participating 
and across the globe. And I would tell you all, what we're finding is this, is that what we're seeing is that leaders are more confident and more motivated to have conversations across the difference. It's growing their listening skills. They're telling us that they're mentoring more, sponsoring, and even hiring differently. But Callie, I have to tell you that when we created this initiative, there's a lot that I didn't know. There's a lot of mistakes I made and the organization, our team made. And I tell you, we knew that we had a massive problem on how to navigate and have a conversation across difference. So a few years ago, I was blessed when you decided to join the team and really take this thing to the next level. And so I have to tell you, related to how we make this more of a transformational activity, that's where you came in and you helped us get to that next level. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, Alex. I mean, and listen, y'all, when kind of Alex and I came together, it was like it was kismet in in the sense that I knew that there was good work to do. I knew that I had some experience. So I came from a background of social justice education. I came from a background using the arts and theater for social justice. So I was really interested in developing empathy and kind of operationalizing empathy. What does that look and sound like and how do we do it? And one of the things I think it was really important when I was speaking to Alex about this is as leaders, as employees, even people in general, we're not really ever taught how to talk about our identity, who we are, right? And even to back it up further, right? We're not really taught to examine the way in which we uniquely see the world. So when we talk about proximity, we're always talking to leaders about this thing called our lens, right? Which is this kind of invisible thing which impacts how we experience the world, what we notice, what we don't notice, what we think about the world, each other, our place in the world, right? There's a great quote that says, we don't see things as they are, we see things as we are. And that is so key in like starting it. So part of the work that we have to do, and more than anything, getting proximate for our leaders, we're also practicing how do we get proximate to ourselves, where we're starting from, and the superpowers we have because of things we already are proximate to, the stuff we notice, making that invisible stuff visible. So understanding that all things being equal, all things ain't equal, right? That our place in the world is going to come with some unique challenges and some privileges based on big things like Alex stuff we've talked about, race and gender and sexual orientation and religion and age and all of these other things, right? So proximity is about understanding what that is so we can start to envision what could be together, right? So what is a truly inclusive, equitable world or company or team or even just individual relationship? What does that look like? And then how does it look and sound for folks that have been pushed to the farthest away from the center of power? So when we talk about marginalized identities, that's what we're talking about, specifically folks where things aren't designed for them in mind which means we're not hearing those voices. We're not having that perspective if that's not an identity we share. So what role do we have based on the privileges we have, based on where we face challenges? Where do we have the power to be allies? I think Alex is always, we think that people want to be allies, but where do we have that power and that influence to be able to be allies? And where do we have like unique and valuable opportunities to provide narratives that challenge kind of these dominant stories, right? So we talk about this dominant narrative and these dominant stories, like where can we be disruptors? Where can we give us stuff to help us reconsider, to reframe or rebuild together? 
And then most importantly, Alex, we need practice staying in that uncomfortable space of growth, right? So this is where that leader development piece comes in, right? And why this is more than just, it is two folks getting together and telling stories, but it's about leader development. And I say that not just because I'm expecting our inclusive community folks to come in and educate. I think leader development happens on both sides of that equation. I think it happens with our VPs and I think it happens with our inclusive community members. That's developing them and understanding how do we sit in that uncomfortable space together? And then how do we talk about when we mess it up? And how do we stay curious, even if we're not sure, even if we're not sure how to solve problems for each other? But how do we start solving with each other and not just for? How do we create solutions with and not for? So that's a very long answer to Alex to say, why do we have coaching? We can't just say have a growth mindset. It's not enough to say be curious, but what does that look and sound like? And most importantly, when you tell me a story and I tell you a story, how do we hold those stories with respect? Because ultimately, our stories are what we have, right? That's who we are. And so how do we hold those respectfully and how do we learn from each other? Beautiful. Beautiful. I love that. And that's what we're going to embark on in this proximity getting proximate podcast. And so I would just tell you this, and this is for everyone. I've spent 20 years working for, in HR, working for Fortune 500 companies. And what I found out just in the last few years is that my leaders didn't know me. Time to invest and to understand me and really understanding me is really understanding my lived experience. There was a lot of confusion. That's exactly what we got. We got a lot of confusion. We made a lot of assumptions. We got, a. I felt that for sure. And so when we created this proximity initiative together, Callie, it was something that was so deep into my lived experience on how I viewed or experienced corporate America or corporate cultures, I would say, is that this has got to be an integral part in how we try to drive our purpose at Cisco. And so with that said, let's talk about, let's model this proximity conversation. I know you and I have had a ton of these, Callie. We had to, right? We had to. That was the thing, y'all. As we were going through this and we're talking about, Alex and I had to get proximate to each other. We have very different identities in a lot of ways. And we had to figure that out, I think. And part of that process, I think, helped us make the proximity initiative what it is. I also think it helped us work together and collaborate together and innovate together just on a daily basis throughout everything we do. But that came with some stuff. I would say like, I learned stuff from you. I think you learned stuff from me. And we had to talk a lot. We had to get deep a little bit, Alex. So that's always going to be a piece of that for sure. 100%. And for me, it was really about building trust with you and learning, really being curious and seeking to understand with a sense of humility, which I think is what I've taken out from it. I'm just underlining trust because that's the other thing. We talk about operationalizing empathy, Alex. We're trying to operationalize trust right? What does that look and sound like when we have trust and how can we lean into that? We know that trust comes with feeling known, right? You talked about not really feeling known and it's hard to build trust. It's hard to do your best and be your best, most brilliant if you don't, if you're not operating in a trusting environment. So let's talk about trust. Let's talk about how you and I build some trust. <laughs> let's talk about how we got proximate and what that conversation looked like. Yeah. And I think I had my own perceptions and assumptions that I was making. But when we, a few years ago, were getting proximate to one another, and this is continuing like as a journey, how I identify as a 
heterosexual black man growing up in Philadelphia with a very American mindset per se, I, that was the lens that I was looking through. I think the things that I see as challenges or the things that I'm aware of is really being an African-American in society, both inside of work and outside of work. And I think that you know this, Callie, but I also had this kind of duality growing up where my parents were creating or trying to establish a middle-class household. And so I would try to yearn for this acceptance, right? So I yearned for this How do I get acceptance from white culture or the primary culture while also being able to be authentic to my own culture? And so that amplified in corporate America where there weren't many people that looked like me, especially in HR as a man and a black man. I've always had to navigate that. And that's been extremely complicated for me. Yeah. Let me ask you, Alex, you mentioned something really interesting, which I know we've talked about before, but I don't think it struck me in the same way, is that you're talking about balancing or managing. I just see this straddling two lines and trying to live in multiple worlds. How do you think that's impacted you as a professional at Cisco? What do you think that's given you or how do you think that's impacted how you've continued to work and continue to maybe relate in your community? How does it show up for you? Yeah, I think it shows up for me when I've had negative situations. Many times when I get excited and I raise my voice, people see that as intimidating or the black man's getting angry. So let's have that perception. Whereas in my culture, being excited or raising my voice is a acknowledgement of engagement. And then we're having the conversation. We're just talking. We're just starting the conversation. We're just starting to talk. What do you mean? But in corporate settings, I've had to really make sure that I lower my voice to try not to become off as intimidating or threat or aggressive or things that we would think that people that hadn't been proximate to me, they could make that assumption. And so I think that's how that shows up. And that answers your question. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, too. And friends, y'all who are listening, when we talk about that idea of what's in the center and what's on the margins. Behavior, how we behave, corporate presence, y'all, that is rooted in some bias, y'all. And that is rooted in this idea that it looks like one particular thing. So, Alex, when you talk about having to, like, in a corporate setting, code switch, in essence, right? And thinking about it, that is because we're basing that off a very white perspective of what professionalism looks like. I would say a white male perspective, in addition to what that looks like. And so, folks who are not that, there's a negotiation there, right? There's always, is what I'm hearing you say. Will you think that's accurate? Callie, it's 100% accurate. Let me just tell you this. I grew up my entire life code switching. I just didn't know what it was until a few years ago. I'm up here code switching my entire life, trying to figure out how to navigate things and trying to figure out how to be accepted by the majority. A few years ago, I read an article about this term called code switching. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I've been doing that. For my entire lifetime, you know, whether it be in sports, whether it be in school, whether it be in corporate America, whether it be my friends, whether it be everywhere other than, quite frankly, sitting at the kitchen table and playing spades with my family. No, that's so good. That's so good because we talk about language and you know what some of the work I do is around inclusive language. Some people don't get it. And some people are talking about, well, you know, it's always one thing to learn. I said, listen, here's the beauty about inclusive language is that we are getting better at describing our own experiences, stuff that we didn't have words for, 
we now have words for and we can tell a story about like you just did. And so like part of learning that stuff is just because we can get more depth to our stories, more definition to our experiences. That's all languages, you know, as we evolve that is that you're able to have now have a word for the thing you've been doing your whole life, right? No, thank you. I love that we double click there. I want to talk about you and your lived experience, if you don't mind sharing it. And I want to kind of go into that. So if you don't mind sharing your lived experience. So I'll talk about my lens, how I see the world and how that impacts. I'm a white woman. I grew up mostly in the Midwest, just outside of Detroit, Michigan. I grew up very working class. My mom was a cashier. My dad sold electrical parts his whole life. My grandma grew up in Detroit and she left school in an early age, but she taught herself to read and she taught herself to do math and she became a manager. She used to manage restaurants. And when not a lot of women were in management position. And so my grandma, whew, she is, she's taught me a lot uh, about life, but yeah, so that's I've definitely been, I've met, you her met my grandma. I've that's met right. Her. Well, and part of that. So as we talk about like that working class aesthetic too, part of that is that I help caretake, right? So I help caretake my grandma. I'm involved in her kind of caretaking and my mom, they live close as well. And so that's a part that's really there. I would say the other lens that definitely I'm coming from. I'm coming from the lens of a cisgender woman, which means cisgender, if that's a new term for you all, that means my biological sex and my gender identity are talking to each other. So identify as female and that matches my biological sex. But I also identify as a lesbian woman. I am married. I've been with my wife for 15 years. I can't believe it. it's going to be 16 years this year. And that's forefront of my mind. And, you know, the way that shows up, you know, I live in Ann Arbor, Michigan right now, which is. I would say a pretty progressive place. So it doesn't show up in the sense that I feel like, oh, we're getting harassed on the street. But I will tell you, Alex, up until two weeks ago, Michigan just passed the expansion of the Elliott Larson Act in Michigan. And why that's significant is it expanded legal protections to folks based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Now, why that's important, Alex, is that up until two weeks ago in my home state, I could have been fired for being gay. Now, Cisco's not going to do that, but I would have no legal recourse if that happened. That's two weeks ago. And so I think a lot of people think that with gay marriage, like we got this whole host of rights and some of our friends were part of that struggle as well. And I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about that as obviously right now, there's a host of bills out there really trying to limit even talking about folks being gay or being transgender our transgender family is really just coming under fire right now by folks who really want to limit their ability to be who they are. I'm thinking about that stuff. And I will also say that the other piece of that really is impactful is I think like many folks in the LGBT community, I have a chosen family. I have a community that's really important to me. As we talk about health and well-being, Alex, I know this from like a manager standpoint, when we talk about what support looks like. If I say I have a family issue, or a family emergency, that may or may not be someone who's actually related to me by blood, right? That may be one of my aunties. That may be an elder in the community that we're looking after because that's an issue for folks when they get older is having to almost go back in the closet to seek elder care. And so all of these things, like this is a big part of who I am. And so I'm community raised, I'm community supported, but that is such a core to who I am and how I show up. And it also means I'm thinking about things. Some of the things that we might be thinking about are the same. Like we might be thinking about safety. But I'll tell you, Alex, 
I don't spend a lot of time thinking about my race, right? Because I don't face challenges around my race. It doesn't mean I don't want to do the work, friend, but it means that that privilege, so it doesn't mean my life isn't hard. It means that my race isn't the thing making it harder. So I got to be careful about getting proximate to those experiences. So I'm just not viewing the world through that perspective, through a perspective in which the white experience, I don't ever have to worry about that, like not getting represented, right? Like nobody asked me to come on a panel. I'm like, is there enough white people on this panel? Like that doesn't happen, right? So talking about that and like also thinking about the places that I'm not thinking about has been really helpful as we've talked about that. But that's just some of my lens and where I'm coming from. By the way, thank you so much. And every time we talk, I learn something new about you or it widens my perspective on things. I love all that. And I can relate to the term family the way you use it. My family in the Black community may not be my blood, but they are my brother or they're my sister or they're my family. So just, I can relate very deeply with that. So that's, a, you know, I just want to note that and connect that. And then the other thing I want to, I want to also talk to you about, and I'm going to share with our audience today is that I've learned a lot from you. And so you and I have talked about your sexuality, your sexual orientation, and I've had some deep learning moments. And one in particular, I still carry and think about a lot. And I think it's in the reason why I think I do that is because I want to really honor you and get to know you. But you and I have had this conversation around, and it was a mistake that I made around your um, sexual orientation, your sexuality. And I said something like this while we were getting proximate. So I want the audience to learn from my mistake, okay? I said something to the effect of, yeah, I said something to the effect of, this is your lifestyle, or you have almost as if you chose a lifestyle. And I know you remember that. And in your response and your education, if you please, if you also can share educate our audience on that, on the mistake that I made and also your perspective on that, because I think it's deeply in deeply, there's a deep learning there. I'll just leave it at that, Kelly. Oh, it's so good, Alex. And listen, I just want to reiterate to everybody, I've learned so much from so many folks, including Alex Daly at Cisco as well. And so one of the things that one this work is about widening our lens. It's like we're noticing stuff we're not noticing. And so Alex, I forget the context of the conversation originally, but we were talking and you mentioned the word lifestyle. And I think I, I might've sat up a little bit when we were talking, right? And I might've just done this little, Alex knows I have this tell where I take off my glasses sometimes when I want to get serious, right? And so I think I sat up a little bit and I said, Alex, let me talk to you about, let me talk to you about that word. Let me talk to you about that word lifestyle. And I said, that word is used a lot, and it has been historically used a lot to really devalue the experiences of folks and their sexual orientation. So the implication is that it, it's a frivolous thing. It's a fad. It's something we choose, right? So a lifestyle could be, you know, I'm working out more. I'm eating vegan, right? Could be a lifestyle choice. And when we talk about that, I said that the issue is that for a lot of folks, and myself included, is there is parts of it that absolutely comes with a community. It comes with a way of being. It comes with our own inside jokes. Alex, I know we've talked about sharing that in different ways, right? Our own set of language. But the lifestyle piece is what folks have used historically to really downgrade us and keep us from the LGBT community in general from accessing equal rights. And it implies that it's this chosen thing that we would do. And I will tell you that 
from the start, and this is different for every person, right? I'm not speaking on behalf of the entire community because it is absolutely different. But for me, this was something that was as true to my being, as true to who I am as anything. And the partner that I picked for life, the partner that I am with, and even if I hadn't picked a partner, like that person is, you know how you feel about your wife, you know, it's like how I feel about my wife. And when people talked about it as a lifestyle, it, it made it seem less than. And it made it seem like something that I was choosing because I wanted to do something hip and cool or I wanted to be anti and I wanted to do whatever. And really, the thing that it boils down to for me is people talk about this issue of choice and if you can choose or not choose. And I will tell you, I would choose to be the way I am now. Like, I wouldn't change that, even though that means that we're always talking about equal rights and things like that. But at the core, what I know is that it isn't as frivolous as a lifestyle. It's who I am. It's how I see the world. It's how I connect with other people. And most importantly, it's about how I love the people I love. And so lifestyle is a word that I asked Alex to not use when he talks about sexual orientation as a way of respecting that my relationship and my marriage is as valid and as meaningful and as full of love and as full of commitment as his is as a heterosexual couple. So that's kind of the combo we had, Alex. And I think it went okay. <laughs> it went incredibly well. And let me take you into how I felt in that moment, Callie. Oh, yeah, please. Oh, I felt embarrassed. I felt shameful. I felt insecure. I felt a nervousness in my stomach. I felt as shamed as I could ever think to be shamed. That's how I felt. However, the way in which we had the dialogue and the way that you communicated to me, I had to take that in with a sense of curiosity, humility, and really try to embrace what I was being my own perspective. And so now I can tell you that is because we've developed this relationship between the two of us. That is something that I will hold and cherish as an opportunity for me to grow and develop just as a person and a human. And I also think that's also connected us too. So I just want to say to you, thank you. I couldn't be more grateful for that conversation that we had. And I knew that was something that I was going to hold and cherish because of my respect to you and to honor you in this, these conversations that we would have. And so I think, you know, from a legal perspective, you know, as leaders go into this or people, anybody goes into this, you have to have that mentality of humility and curiosity and the seeking to learn in these conversations. So I'm just saying that out loud. Alex, you know, I appreciate that. And I just want to reiterate too that the learning that I've been so fortunate to receive at Cisco. And so one of the things I love about Cisco is that there's been hard conversations where I've been called out and where I've been asked to do better or I've had my lens widened. I will particularly say, especially I've had so many experiences where I will say that I am in the place I am in Cisco today because of my conversations with black women in particular at Cisco and who have taken the time to have those conversations and not with an expectation of anybody teaching me, but have those conversations to get proximate. And I just want to point out like the thing that you did, Alex, and in, in all those things you talked about feeling, we talk about getting ready to have these kind of conversations like that is part of it. That is a natural human response. Our humanness means that when we cause harm inadvertently or not, that we have that feeling of guilt. We have that feeling of shame. 
we have that feeling of focusing on our intent rather than our impact because that's a natural human thing that we do. And what you did was at the core of what we really try to teach our leaders, which is in those moments, you stop, you breathe, you widen that lens, you realize that you may not understand the harm, you may not even agree with the harm, but what you can do is acknowledge that there was an impact from the harm. And you can take that feedback as a gift that allows you to align your values with your words and your actions. Because I know what you're about, Alex, which is why we had that trust there for me to be able to say, let's have this combo, because I knew you were about inclusion and you were about making people feel welcome. And that was something that took me out of that space. And I wanted you to know, because I wanted you to know that that was happening for me, because I knew that we needed to continue to work together. And I knew that you were in a space where you were willing to. So that pause that you talked about kind of having to work through, I don't want to underestimate what a big deal that is, <laughs> because that is a learned thing that we have to get used to is taking that breath and working through our own stuff and saying, thank you so much for letting me know. Thank you for that feedback. Callie, let me also just add one thing, because a lot of people ask us, what's the action that we're going to take? I'm having these conversations and proximity conversations, and what's the action? The action, and I'm going to get excited, the action is learning. The action is doing something different than or adjusting or widening your lens. In this situation, I am absolutely going to do something different as I talk to someone, anyone across sexual orientation. That's the action, y'all. The action are simple behavioral changes that'll make me a better person or shape me as a leader. That's the action. And I'm just so excited to be able to call that out because that makes you feel great. I feel great. And I think that also makes this, when we talk about a conscious culture, y'all, when we talk about conscious culture, a conscious culture, this is the action that we want people to take to be able to make us better internally in our interactions. We're becoming better humans. And so that's the thought here, y'all. That's the thought around this. Alex, you know who said learning is an action item? You know who said that? Yes. Brian Stevenson Brian. for the win. And yes, right. Brian Stevenson right. bringing that's it right. back full circle to Brian. Exactly. Yes, Alex, those are the things. And then we collaborate different. We create different. We start to pause and think like maybe this way isn't the only way to solve this problem, to address this. Maybe we can start looking at all these issues that are popping up around identity and our policies and our laws and start saying, hey, that doesn't impact me, but it does impact me. And so I got to be the one to speak up about that. I got to be the one to take action. I got to make the one to make sure that while all this stuff is going on, where there's another incident of violence around a particular community or another incident where folks' rights are being eroded, that I got to take care of people who share that identity. I got to acknowledge that impacts folks. And I got to be the one to do it. Because if I'm living with the privilege, Alex, and we talk about this learning piece, is that when I'm learning about race, Alex, the privilege I sit in is that I can learn about it and not experience harm about it at the same time. And when you talk about places that you have privilege, so we've got to take those opportunities to learn. I mean, it's an obligation. I love this, Alex. You know, we could talk all day about getting proximate and why we're getting proximate. So maybe we end with some questions. 
you got some ideas we can kind of rapid fire and then we'll talk about what's up next. Yes. All good. All good. So let's talk about who, and we learned this from, I believe it was from Michelle Obama and her Illuminate session. So let's bring in some Illuminate, let's give Illuminate some ups on this, but who's at your kitchen table? Who are you laughing with? Who are you crying with? Who are you sharing with? Who's in the process with you, Callie? This is so good, y'all. We talked about the role of community, y'all. So definitely my community is at that table, right? And that is community that is so important to me that is intergenerational, right? And so I've got some aunties who have been through some stuff and I'm always trying to listen and talk about whose shoulders I stand on because unfortunately, y'all, none of this is new. These challenges we're facing aren't new. And there have been people that have been fighting before us. So those folks are at my tapers. My elders are definitely at my table. I will say another piece, and this goes back to being a first-generation college student and kind of grown-up working class and also feeling different as I was growing up, is that teachers and mentors and professors have really played a huge role in my life. And so I have many mentors now who have turned into friends who are folks that used to be teachers, folks that are still teaching me in a lot of ways. But I would say the public education system and the libraries when I was growing up were my saving place. I was one of those kids. And so I've been fortunate that I have some of my mentors and teachers that I still sit at my table with me and I'm able to call upon. And that's been so huge. I'm lucky enough to find a partner for life and my wife, who's brilliant in her own right and who is doing amazing work and is just always at that table to keep it real, Alex. Let's say, bring me back to earth sometimes. Talk about what's important. You know, say, bring it back here. Bring it back here. Let's talk about what's important. Let's take a walk in the woods. Let's look at nature. Let's read together. You know, let's get proximate to two different experiences together. And that's been so huge. So I'll ask you the same, Alex. You know, who's at your kitchen table? Who are you having those moments with of support, of laughing, crying, all of that? Yeah, I would tell you that it's definitely centered around family. You know, this Callie, and we'll talk about this in other episodes, but I have a son who has cerebral palsy and he has his daily adventure and challenges around his health and well-being that are centered around my family, my immediate family, my wife and my son and my sister. And you want to talk about someone who keeps it real. <laughs> We're born on the same day, eight years apart. She's older than I am. So you can imagine that. And she lives about 45 minutes from us. She's one of the people that can handle my disabled son. That comes with, but when you do the work, you get to talk, right? You, when you do the work, you get the voice. And so that's the point. So I'll take it, I'll take it from her a little bit because she's actually doing the work and she's in the mix with us. If you're not in the mix, you don't get no voice. If you're not there during the challenging times, during the surgeries and the recoveries and the therapies and all that, then if you're there, guess what? You're in the hospital room or you're in the therapy bed, then guess what? You're there and you have a voice. If you ain't there, then you ain't got no voice. Not my situation. Just to keep it serious is, yeah, we have a tight, very tight, but small group that helps us navigate that. And we're tight with that. And I know we have a ton of other questions, y'all, but let me just also just ask you this, Callie, what does hope mean to you? We've talked about some other of these questions, but what does hope mean to you? Hope is interesting. We talk about hope again, because Brian talks a lot about hope as a superpower. And when I think about hope, what hope means for me is that we are, hope is a future that we are envisioning together. And hope is a collective vision of what that future looks like. 
And so it's enough for us all to say like, hey, we want a better world. We want a better world. And we all do. But hope for me is a world in which that we are co-creating that utopia from a place that isn't just based on the center and who has a voice now, but hope that we can create that and really disrupt that. I think there's disruption in hope for me. What about you, Alex? What's hope look like for you? Yeah, I tell you in a couple different ways, I think what hope looks like to me, and I know you know about the work that the team does, our team does, but the core part of what we do my team, the go-to-market team, is that we meet with leaders that have the ultimate power and privilege related to their corporate inclusive culture within their organization. And we're having conversations, y'all. We're having dialogues about what does that look and sound like in your organization? How do we help drive some accountability? And so hope to me looks like when that conversation starts to shift a little bit, and I'm feeling it, I'm feeling that shift as we meet with leaders for the second, for the third time over the years, I'm feeling a sense of hope related to how they're shifting their perspective and driving you know, our purpose as well as our inclusive culture and our conscious culture. That's what hope looks like to, and sounds like to me. And I think the other part of it is I'm also looking for somebody who's going to hire my disabled son. That's hope. I'm looking for someone to hire him. He's 17 now. He has four more years of high school, and I'm hoping that we can put him in a place where he could be productive in society. And so I am hoping that there will be leaders or perspectives that we can shape that will help him in his life to be able to drive you know, something meaningful for our family and him and other people that are like him. We're not alone. We are not alone. And there's a lot of other people that have similar challenges, and even more detrimental challenges that they're trying to overcome. You know, Alex, I just want to say I'm hearing from you. Hope is it's work. Hope is disruptive. Hope is actionable, right? So it's not just a thing we're putting out there, but it is something that we have actionable that we're going to get jobs and the people who need them. And that hope is something that we need to collectively build together. I love that. And I think that's a great place for us to start thinking about as we get proximate, what does that hope look like together? So I'm looking forward I'm looking forward to this, Alex, and I'm looking forward to talking about Bryce a little bit more. We'll get into that. But yeah, like we probably should wrap it up here and get folks ready for our next episode. Let's wrap it up. And let me just mention one other thing in, about what Brian Stevenson said to both of us, this idea of changing the narrative. Ooh. And so we're going to talk about that in future episodes, but changing the narrative, you just reminded me, that's the hard work. That's the hard work. Woo. That's the hard work that we're going to try and do. But hey, y'all, we're going to have nine more episodes like this. We're going to have a guest that comes on each time to talk with Callie and I, and we're going to simply just get proximate. We're going to talk about our lived experiences. We're going to ask them to share about their lived experiences, and we're going to widen our lens and get curious and really understand and share this back and forth and have a proximity conversation with nine other episodes, with nine other people. And that's what this Getting Proximate podcast is going to be all about. All right. All right. We'll see you next time. Go get proximate, y'all. Go get proximate. We'll see you. Thank you for listening to the Let's Get Proximate podcast, powered by Cisco. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. 
This episode is brought to you by Cisco, an industry leader in technology innovations and solutions. With networking, security, collaboration, cloud management, and more, Cisco helps to securely connect industries and communities, creating the bridge to possible. Find out more at www.cisco.com.